0: Father in heaven, I hope and pray, God, that our hearts are full from what we've already been blessed to participate in here in this worship service. And that's exactly what it is, Lord. It is a time where we come together corporately as a church body, a church family, to bring worship and praise and exaltation to you and your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we have been blessed already to do so with our fellowship and certainly with the breaking of bread and drinking of the cup through even our giving, through our singing, our serving. And Lord... Now it is our hope, our desire to learn much from your word, that you will use your word in a mighty way to convict our hearts, to continue to grow us and conform us into the image of your Son. We pray, God, that these words will not fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts, but Lord, just the opposite that these words would sink deep into our souls and our minds and Lord that we would desire to act upon them we thank you for this immense privilege of coming together and to learn from you we thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one who has put their faith in Christ and who now illumines and enlightens the word so that we can understand it and put it into practice. We pray all of this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The title of this message is, A Model for the Local Church. And we might add there that uh, it especially is a model for the local church in the areas of evangelism, and, and we might even say church planting. This comes at the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is verses 5 to 10. follows on the heels of uh, the first message that I delivered back in July. Back in July, I shared with you that uh, um, the leaders had given me the go-ahead to Whenever I would be able to fill the pulpit, to just start preaching through a book myself. And I have had a desire to preach through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It may take us a while, but uh, that's where we find ourselves. Back in July, we kicked things off with chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, which centered on some of the signs of a healthy church. Let's go ahead and stand, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, who rescues us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want you for a few minutes, a couple of moments here, to to think back to any experiences that you might have had when you have visited another church. Maybe you were on vacation somewhere and if you're like us, you like to find a local body to, to go and, and worship with and, and so maybe you've had some experiences visiting some other churches. Maybe at some point you were church shopping, uh, maybe before you found Calvary Bible and so you had some experience with different churches. And I would just ask you to kind of recall in your mind when you did this, What were some of the things you remember about those churches? There might be positive things that you remember. There might also be negative things that you remember. I'll give you just a couple of examples from my own life, uh, myself and and Julie, when we have uh, visited some other churches. And and I'm I'm specifically using some negative examples. Uh, And it's in regard to a church that we visited in another state. And when we found this church while we were visiting, it it had the name of the city and it said uh, blank Bible Church. So we went, "Ooh, that sounds good. Right. That's Step in the right direction. And then it turns out, as we went onto their website and we looked at uh, the leadership and and the the pastoral staff, the main preaching pastor was from a very reputable and well-known seminary. And you go, hmm, that is this is this is getting better. So we decide that is the place where we will go. This is number of years ago, by the way. So we show up to this church one Sunday morning, Julie and I. I don't remember if we had our kids with us or not. And uh, and the first thing that we noticed was virtually no one said a word to us. I mean, we walked in, we kind of, you know, and and... and we weren't trying to hide or come in late or anything like that, and we made our way to some seats and and uh, and just kind of you know you're looking around and checking it out and everybody's talking and bum 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 and nobody said a word to us. Nobody came up to us, introduced himself, asked, "Hey, welcome. How are you doing? Are you new here? Anything like that?" Okay, service starts. Um, all seems well, and the pastor gets up to begin his sermon time, except. There wasn't a sermon. Well, it turns out it, the youth group had come back from, I think, a missions trip. And so they wanted to give the, the time that morning for the uh, high school missions group to um, share a little bit about their experiences. So they had the youth pastor up and that's what they did. When it was all over, we were a little bewildered by it. It seemed maybe just a little strange that that would, you know, take up the, uh, the whole preaching time. And again, nobody really said anything. So we left. Fast forward about a year later. We decide, go back. We're visiting again in this town and we think, well, maybe things will be just a little different. You know, it just might have been just kind of a unique Sunday. So we go back And um, I don't remember exactly if anyone said anything to us uh, at that time. Uh, I don't remember it being like overly friendly or anything like that. Um, The pastor did get up this time and he's in the pulpit and and it was all pretty casual. He had his cup of coffee sitting in there. Not that that's a, I love coffee. It just wasn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, I might have my water up here, but I wouldn't necessarily have my coffee in a Danish or whatever, you know, um, while I'm getting ready to preach. And the pastor opens up with an opening illustration, and I kid you not, I mean, it was basically a comedy routine. So Julie and I, from California, are sitting out here in his congregation, and he says, well, this morning, it's summertime, he says, I'm going to give you the top ten reasons why it's time for Californians to go home. I, uh, my mouth dropped open. Julie's mouth dropped open. We're like, we're like looking around. We're on candid camera. Uh, You know, what is, what is seriously, did he just say what we thought he said? And he proceeded to do this David Letterman type top 10 list about why we should go home. We were just stunned, shocked. Um, After that, I thought, okay, well, this will be interesting. Let's see what, what, how this is an opening illustration to whatever passage he's going to be preaching on, except he didn't preach. He instead Um, wanted to promote their new life groups that they were starting. Life groups were things like the restaurant group, and the golf group, and the sewing group, and the book group, and the bowling group, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll tell you, Julie and I left and literally walked out with tears in our eyes. Tears in our eyes. It's interesting, too, because we happened to be in the same town last summer. This is before... Uh, Calvary Bible uh, called me to be a part of the pastoral team here. We were there last summer, and I had the opportunity to meet with an elder of a different church in the same town. Uh, They were looking for a pastor at the time, and I shared with him these experiences. He was shocked. He was shocked. Needless to say, I wouldn't feel comfortable recommending this church to anyone. In fact, just the opposite. I'd probably tell him, stay away. Stay away. This morning, we are going to see a continuing picture of what a New Testament church should look like. And as I I said with my last message, we should, as members of Calvary Bible, we should be examining, well, yes, our own hearts in the matter, but also our church body as a whole. And are we living up to what we see in Scripture? Now, I want to just give you just a a short recap. You kind of have to do this when you have, you know, a couple of months, a few months in between uh, preaching times from the same book. But uh, if you do remember, we learned last time that Paul had been traveling on his second missionary journey when he and Silvanus, a.k.a. Silas. So if you see Silas, it's also Silvanus. Arrived at Thessalonica. It was a city that's at kind of the north top end of the Aegean Sea, north and east of Greece. It was a strategic city for this church to to be formed, especially in regard to evangelism, because one, it was a major port city, and, and it was a protected port as well. So it was just prime location. It's also on something called Via Ignatia, or the Ignatian Way. So it's this main highway that connects Rome with all of its eastern provinces. So it's, it's absolutely a gateway city. It was the main road for travel and commerce going right through the middle of the city. And so along with that and the fact that it, it had this port again gateway city to both east and west. So you can understand the importance of it in regard to evangelism and how the gospel then could just go any which way direction wise. Now we also learn that Paul And Sylvanus and Timothy have been traveling westward, heading toward Macedonia, bypassing Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, because the Holy Spirit told him to do so. They eventually make it to Philippi. Philippi is is, uh, a little east there of Thessalonica, also on the north end of the Aegean Sea, where Paul runs into some very serious problems with the locals. So serious that it brings beatings uh, upon Paul and even jail time until the local magistrate realizes that he and Silvanus are, uh uh-oh, Roman citizens. So the magistrates basically let them out. They beg them to leave, which they finally do. They travel through um, Amphipolis and Apollonia and they arrive at Thessalonica. Then I read to you an account of their stay at Thessalonica from Acts 17 verses 1 to 9, which including uh, the fact that they were preaching in the synagogue there, and they were seeing some Jews converted, but even more Greeks and some of the leading women. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews from the synagogue became very jealous. They formed a mob. They stirred up the city against them. And eventually, the brethren there at Thessalonica sent our missionaries away and they proceeded to Berea. Until finally, after a stay there, they kept making their way down through Athens and into Corinth, which is then where Paul uh, writes this letter to the Thessalonians. And what we saw from our text last time was a a picture, really, of a very healthy, solid, God-glorifying church. As Paul opens his letter to the Thessalonians, he tells them how they've all been praying for them. They've been thanking God for God's choice of them for salvation, along with their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. That was from verse 3. And as we went through this, I again encourage you to consider where Calvary Bible is at in regard to our collective faith, love and hope as a church body, which have to first come from the faith, hope and love of us as individuals, right, before it can be a part of the whole So in our text this morning, we continue to have this tremendous model of a church. And again, as I said, especially in this area of evangelism, because this is precisely what Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy also were there doing. They were evangelizing. They were church planting. So here it is. We might call this even evangelism 101 and church planting in three easy steps. Maybe not so easy. We'll see. We'll see. The first step is this. We see in our text the gospel given. The gospel given. Now, we already learned of God's choice of the Thessalonians for salvation back in verse 4. This choice, according to Ephesians 1, was wrought before the foundation of the world. That is to say their salvation was foreknown. It was predestined by God. They were elected by God in eternity past to become a believer. Now, your salvation, friends, it's no different. If you are indeed a true Christian, huh, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, before the, the world and earth was even made. That, that's, we could just camp out there and talk about that for the rest of the morning. But alas, we will move on to a, a subpoint here. Our first subpoint under the gospel being given. Look at verse 5. Paul says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. And that's kind of our first sub point there, that it didn't just come in word, not just in word. Now, first, what this is not saying is that they didn't share the word of the gospel. They absolutely did. They absolutely did. That's what Paul set out to do every time he entered a city. He went to the synagogue, if they had one, and proceeded to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned this in my last uh, message as well, that when Paul did this, his his teaching centered primarily on two points. The first was he wanted to show the people there, who were mostly Jews, right, that the Old Testament was all about the Messiah and, and, and how the Old Testament would um, lead them to the Messiah. And specifically, that the Messiah would suffer, he would die, and then he would actually rise from the dead. The second thing that Paul wanted to show them when he went into a, a synagogue was he wanted to show them how then these Old Testament truths about the Messiah then connected the dots to who? Jesus. Jesus, right? of paramount importance that Jesus was indeed the fulfillment of these messianic prophecies proving that Jesus was and is indeed the Christ the anointed the messiah the savior well now Paul is telling the Thessalonians that along with him preaching the good news of Jesus Christ that message did not come to them in word only okay I'll bite so how did it Paul How did it come? Verse five tells us in power, in power. It says, but also in power. And of course, this this power, the Greek there is dunamis, uh, certainly referred to the power of God given to the apostles, for instance, for the purpose of, of doing miracles and performing signs and wonders, which would authenticate the gospel message they were preaching and teaching. It's also used of Jesus's miracles, in the gospels but here in our text it's the power of god that comes with his gospel message that has the ability to save someone which of course is the one of the greatest supernatural miracles of all right as paul said in romans 116 for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what power power of god for salvation to everyone who believes To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, in addition to the gospel coming in the power of God, it also came, look at verse 5, and in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. And of course, it is the Holy Spirit. If we stopped and did a little study on just the Holy Spirit, we would come to understand that the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit calls, the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit enlightens and transforms and assures and comforts and quickens the spiritually dead, causing them to be born again. Remember when Jesus said to Nicodemus in John three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Capital S. Holy Spirit. In other words, you may not see or hear the Holy Spirit, but boy, we sure feel his effects, don't we? Especially in regard to salvation. Of course, Jesus would later tell his disciples that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all Truth. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus informs the disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and they shall be his witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Well, furthermore, the gospel also came to the Thessalonians with full conviction. Full conviction. We see this in verse 5. Now, here's what's interesting. This is not referring to the conviction of the hearers, the Thessalonians, in hearing the gospel and being convicted, but rather, it's the conviction of Paul and the others, Silvanus, Timothy, in what they were sharing by way of the gospel. In this case, he's telling them, we shared the gospel with you with full conviction. Full, meaning much Or even profound conviction being with perfect certainty, confirmation, full assurance, complete understanding. Paul understood that he and the others who were preaching the gospel were preaching with the full conviction of the truth of the gospel. They understood that they were men being empowered by the Holy Spirit with a spiritually inspired message that was being heard now by spiritually appraised ears. To put it simply, this was the Thessalonians being given the gospel by men who had the full conviction of spirit-empowered preaching, trusting in spirit-empowered listening or hearing. And then lastly, in this first section of them being given the gospel, not just in word, but also by their example. Look at verse five again. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and what kind of men did they prove to be? These were the real deal kind of men. Paul, Sylvanus, Timothy—they were true apostles. And followers sent by God to share the extraordinary truths of the gospel so that forgiveness of sins and eternal life would come to the Thessalonians. These were men of godly character. Godly character, disciples of Christ. These are men who walked the talk, right? They were not charlatans. They were not frauds. They were not deceivers or swindlers. And in fact... One of the ways that they prove this, we learn in 2 Thessalonians. Go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians for just a sec. Chapter 3, in verses 7 to 9. Here Paul reminds them of the example he and the other apostles and disciples were to them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. He says, For you yourselves know... They did not act in an undisciplined manner. Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. The, the word literally means out of order. In a military context, it, it means for a soldier to break ranks. Also to behave irregularly or in a disorderly manner. To neglect one's duties. So, so they were not acting contrary in any way to the word of God. They were maintaining godly character, godly order in their lives that would then be evident to the Thessalonians. And this, frankly, is important for leaders in the church, any church. I mean, let's let's face it, when somebody is, is living any sort of undisciplined life, it, it never seems that it's very long until this comes to light, until they're kind of found out, if you will. Now, yes, some hide it better than others. But Paul is saying that their disciplined manner should have been evident to the Thessalonians. Secondly, they didn't ask to be supported by the church, even though it would have been fine for them to have done so, but rather they worked to support themselves. Paul, of course, yeah, being a tent maker, we remember that. So they wouldn't be a financial burden to any of them. So that then, three, they would be a godly model and example of what it means to be A follower of Christ. That's what they wanted the Thessalonians to see in them. So in summary here, the gospel came to the Thessalonians. Yes, in word, the gospel message was preached and taught to them, but also in power And in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, of Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, who proved by their example what kind of men they really were. They were godly, Christ-honoring men, so their example would give them validity to the message they were teaching. That their lives would give credence and affirmation to the gospel message they were sharing, all for the sake of the Thessalonians, for their benefit, and then certainly for God's glory. You know, I, here in Los Angeles, and having gone to, uh, you know, the Master Seminary, and I know this is true of a lot of you as well, we have been blessed to, uh, gosh, when they have shepherds conferences and things like that, and even here in this room from this pulpit to have experienced some of the finest preachers that we have today. I mean, I, for me, it's people like Al Mohler, it's, it's Steve Lawson, Paul Paul Washer, H.B. Charles, and others and the common threads with these men is that along with their words the words of scripture is included power the holy spirit full conviction of what they are preaching and teaching and then most importantly from anyone anyone in a pulpit is that the preacher would walk his talk that he would be a godly example i don't know if i've shared this before or not but um in seminary, they gave us this little, little short book, almost like a booklet, that was, man, one of the most impactful books. I read it first in seminary. I'll never forget. It, it was called Minister of Shepherd. And it basically addresses young seminary students, written by a guy named Charles Jefferson around the turn of the century, um, uh, 18th into the 19th century, who basically is writing to seminary students saying, Yeah, guys, I, I, I know, I know you want to be preachers and teachers. I know you want to get up there in the pulpit and you want to wow your people with your, your, your preaching prowess. And, and, and you're just, man, you're going to have the golden tongue, John Chrysostom. And, and you're just going to, uh, you know, wow them and, 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 and just, you know, do great things with God's word. But here's the deal. You need to be a shepherd first and foremost. And if you're not a shepherd, your words are going to fall on deaf ears. Deaf ears. In other words, you need to be that godly example for what you are preaching and teaching. Okay, so now that the Thessalonians have been presented with the gospel, the gospel has been given to them. It brings Paul uh, to his second point, their response to the gospel, their response to the gospel. And, and I, just to go back for a quick second, I would say, boy, I sure don't see the Calvary Bible has any church with presenting the gospel. I think we are all about the gospel here. All about it. Now, uh, secondly, the response to the gospel. We're actually going to jump to the middle of verse 6. And just look at the middle here first. Where we see that they, the Thessalonians, received the word. They received the word. Verse 6b, uh, there in the middle, says, Having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So this word received, to receive the word, that is the gospel, right? It means much more than just merely Hearing the word. The Greek word there is dekamai, and it literally means to accept an offer deliberately and readily. To accept an offer deliberately and readily. I remember one day in seminary, uh, I had gotten to, uh, I didn't have to go to chapel that morning for some reason. And um, I, I came to a class right after chapel, and this friend of mine goes, Dude, he goes, they just made this announcement in chapel. Every student is receiving a check for a thousand dollars. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, they just announced it. I don't, know, I don't know why I thought this. I just thought he was pulling my leg. I you thought, know? <laughs> what's that about? You know, he says, you got to go to your mailbox and 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 go get it. And I thought, seriously, you're for real? I don't think so. You know, and uh, so at that point, have I received the check? Nope. Right. So now I'm going to have to act out in faith and trust what my buddy is saying and actually make my way to my mailbox, open the mailbox up and see if there's a check in there. There was for $1,000. It was given to all the fellows in seminary. Somebody made this donation and they just wanted to split it up and give every guy a little bit of of money. But in that sense, I had to accept this offer deliberately and readily. And I was pleased that I did so. My wife was pleased too. So... In this case here, though, receiving refers to accepting, believing, trusting, and certainly having saving faith in the gospel. In John chapter 1, right at the beginning of John, verses 11 to 13, it says that he, Jesus, came to his own. And those who were his own, meaning the Jews, did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And, and so here, friends, we see that for those who receive Christ, it indicates that this is saving faith because they become children of God. They have believed in his name and they are born again of the Holy Spirit. Now, what else is inherent in in receiving the word? Well, it certainly includes the understanding and conviction by an individual that they have a problem. They have a sin problem and the sin problem needs rectifying. And it's this understanding, again conviction, that we have all rebelled against a holy, righteous God who cannot tolerate any amount of sin in His heavenly kingdom. And in fact, because He is a perfectly just God, sin has to be punished. It has to be punished. And of course, the consequence for our sin is, yes, physical death, but then punishment Conscious punishment for all eternity in hell in the lake of fire. Forever separated from God. But God so loved the world, right, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And of course, that through Christ, and what he accomplished on the cross, on our behalf, is indeed what saves us. That Jesus took our place. He became our substitute. He died the death that we should have died. But then furthermore, he was taken down off that cross. He was put into the grave, into the tomb, dead for three days before he resurrects. Before God brings him back to life. And he of course has life eternal. And so this gives us the hope and confidence. Knowing that then we too can have life eternal. That we have been forgiven of our sins by his blood shed. That we indeed will have eternal life with him in his heavenly kingdom. We will be resurrected from the grave just as as he has been. This is the gospel, friends. And, and this is what was communicated to the Thessalonians. Of course, they received it, meaning they believed it. And now, getting back to the Thessalonians having received the word, what's even more extraordinary is that they received it, the scripture says, in much tribulation. That is trouble in affliction, in suffering, one translation says, in spite of severe suffering, and what was their suffering? Here, I want you to to um, stay in first Thessalonians, or if you're still in second we'll go back to first Thessalonians and uh, and just look at chapter two for a moment First Thessalonians, chapter two, beginning in verse fourteen. Where we see their suffering. When Paul says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen. Even as they did from the Jews. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Remember, this is Paul down in Corinth, right? Writing this letter, looking back to when he was there at Thessalonica with them when the Jews turned against him. And we could also surmise that once he left, that persecution didn't just necessarily leave with him, but there would have been that element that was still there in Thessalonica as these people were receiving the word and becoming believers and forming this church. Interesting, huh? That the suffering was not brought on by, say, the Romans or the Greeks, but by their own countrymen. And yet they still received the word. And it says at the end of verse 6, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Even in the midst of persecution and suffering. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that they were able to have this joy. And Paul wants to remind them of this fact because you got to remember too. We're pretty, you know, used to maybe this understanding of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. They weren't as used to that. This was still a fairly new truth that they were coming to know and understand and believe in. Of course, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer shows things like membership in the family of God. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts for ministry. The Holy Spirit becomes the evidence of a person's salvation and of their ultimate future in God's eternal kingdom. Now, joy here in our text, joy during tribulation is a hallmark difference between Christians and non-Christians, is it not? I mean, think about it. You have this one group that goes through tribulations, trials, sufferings, and and frankly, they they are burdened. They are burdened by the weight of it all. It maybe is becoming overwhelming to them. They, they don't understand what's going on. They become distressed, even distraught. Uh, they are not kind of seeing any way out, any way to get through it. And they start to grow angry, even bitter. Their hearts maybe become hardened as they do not see any good in the situation, but only bad. But then you have this group called Christians. Those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, well, They're going through the same tribulations. They're going through the same difficulties, the same sufferings. And yet, they have joy? I mean, what gives? Seriously, what gives? Here's what gives. Because this joy... That we have as believers is a supernatural joy given to us by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And you say, well, for what purpose? Oh, all kinds of things to help us endure whatever it is we're going through, to bring encouragement to us, to show us that God is molding and shaping and changing and conforming us into the image of his son. We might remember the apostles' reaction when they were released after being jailed and flogged. When they were preaching Christ back in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name, the name of Christ. That's extraordinary. I don't even know if I can wrap my mind around that aspect. How about James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, where it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And in addition, beloved, the, the Christian always has at the forefront of their minds, Mind you, forefront, not in the back of their minds. It's got to be right here, right? The hope and promise that this world, this life is not the end. It is not the end. We have this awesome hope and promise to look forward to of eternal life with Christ. Because if that was it, yeah, then we are most to be pitied. But it's not. We have resurrection. We have eternal life with God and His Son, Jesus, in the new heavens and on the new earth to look forward to. Therefore, we can have joy even in the midst of suffering. And along with receiving the Word, we also see that the Thessalonians followed their examples. They followed the examples of Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Look at the beginning of verse 6. The beginning of verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Imitate is this word, my mates, my mates, my mimic, mimic, okay? The only reason Paul would want them to, to mimic or imitate he and Silvanus and Timothy is because these three were imitating who? Christ, exactly, the Lord. 1 Corinthians eleven one tells us Paul writes, "Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ." Well, oh, that, that's that's a key phrase, right? Can't just be imitators of me. No. As I am of Christ, Ephesians one, uh, excuse me, five verses one to two, where Paul says, "Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma." We have First John chapter two, verse six, where it says, "The one who says he abides in Him, meaning Jesus, ought himself to walk in the same manner as He, Jesus, walked." And then what was the outcome? What was the outcome of their having received the word, becoming imitators of the Lord and the apostles, even in much tribulation, but with joy? Look at verse 7. Then they become examples. They become examples so that you became an example. Two posts. It's a prototype or a pattern or even an exact replica. It's where we get the word type. From. In other words, the Thessalonian believers' lives were imitating Christ and the apostles to the point where they became examples. Specifically, look at verse 7, to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia is, is uh, uh, a province of Greece up there, uh, just to the north uh, uh, area or end of Greece, where Thessalonica was located with Philippi and Berea, Achaia then is down below um, where we would find Athens and Corinth in the southern part of Greece. In any case, the believers throughout Macedonia, Achaia, look to the Thessalonians as godly examples. Now, who of us hasn't had someone or even a, a group of people that we have looked up to as godly examples? Examples. I have known individuals and people in my life, as well as pastors and preachers that I have looked up to, that I have sought to imitate or emulate. There's even been whole churches that I've been to. Um, I'm just thinking of one in particular that uh, I remember going to, and boy, just kind of being, mm, just overwhelmed, just amazed that the church as a whole... Seemed like it was just kind of filled with godly examples, godly believers. Trusting in and following the Lord Jesus Christ. The question for us is, have we become imitators of the Lord to the point where we have become godly examples? Again, we could look at ourselves individually and ask that question. But here, it's in more of this corporate whole body context. Do we as Calvary Bible Church. Have the joy of the Holy Spirit during trials and tribulation. As I've said before, we can't accomplish this corporately as a body until it started to work on us individually. Our third and final model of a local church this morning is the perpetuation of the gospel. That then the gospel was sent forth. Look at verse eight. For the Lord word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. This is very interesting. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome because what Paul is saying now is that this church at Thessalonica, is filled with godly examples of people imitating Christ and the apostles. And one of the natural results then is that the word of God just goes forth from them. It goes out first to that local community of Thessalonica, and then it travels beyond, as we just read. It reaches into Macedonia, it reaches down into Achaia. And then Paul says, "...and everywhere else that their faith toward God was heard about." You go, know, this is very interesting because apparently it wasn't coming from Paul, Silvanus, or Timothy. They weren't the ones that were sharing about the Thessalonians' uh, walk with the Lord. This is what's interesting because we aren't told that the church enlisted missionaries to kind of join forces with Paul and the gang to continue on. It's not told that they enlisted or raised up missionaries to kind of send them out right there, though people were moving out from Thessalonica because, again, it's this gateway port kind of city. And it seems that what, happened, what was happening there is that, is that their word and reputation was spreading. It was spreading. Remember, again, being in that strategic geographical location where travelers would come through and then continue on to other destinations. Okay, so imagine, just, we'll try to play this out. You know, imagine if a Jew showed up to Thessalonica traveling. They search out the local synagogue. How long would it be before they are there? And they start hearing stories of these radical missionaries This guy Paul and and his entourage and, and this crazy hubbub that they created that went down in Thessalonica. And then, well, hearing about that, this could easily then lead them to the Thessalonican Christians wherever they might be meeting, maybe, you know, in house to house, people's houses, or maybe they were able to show up at some of their church gatherings. They meet these folks, they hear the gospel message preached, and then they see this, this radical faith being lived out by these Thessalonians in this awesome, crazy way. And I, I was thinking, you know, this. I imagine this is similar to the early church in Jerusalem in Acts 2. I, I, I preached this when, when I was doing my candidating message here. But if you want to go ahead and turn there for just a quick moment, Acts 2 and verses 42 to 47, we, we have we have people being baptized, we have numbers of converts growing, and it says that people were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is Acts 2, now verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, that part of it might not have been as prevalent in Thessalonica. We aren't told of specific... Um, uh, miraculous miracles outside of salvation that was going on there. Verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. I think that's exactly what what they were seeing there in this church at Thessalonica. So let's turn the the tables on us. Let's put the the mirror on us. So picture this here at Calvary Bible Church. Somebody Googles us. It's been amazing how often that's happened. They Google us and they show up on a Sunday. What do they see? What do they see? Do they see a, a vibrant, Alive, loving body of believers? Do they do they see people excited to be together and to be a church to worship the Lord corporately? Are are we friendly in, in reaching out to them? Do we do we bring them along and invite them to a, a fellowship group? Do we kind of help to get them plugged in? Do they do they see a church that's excited about the Word of God? Does it get preached and taught truthfully and with clarity? And conviction and appropriate application? Do they see people eagerly serving one another? Do they see people gathering in each other's homes for a meal or or do they get an invite to join them for coffee at Starbucks? Do they see a church with a solid reputation in the community? Do they see a generous group of believers? People concerned with the needs of one another and even needs outside the body. Now, here's the thing. If somebody is seeing and experiencing all of this, then hopefully, praise God, that's a good thing, right? And they stay at Calvary Bible Church and they decide to make Calvary Bible Church their their church home. But what if someone's just passing through? They're only here for a Sunday, maybe a couple of Sundays, maybe enough to even go to a fellowship event or attend a, a, a midweek Bible study. What would they say about us to others after they left? What have you said about other churches after you've left? What have I shared with you even this morning about my own experiences? My wife one time was in a, a, another city and, and wanted to go to this uh, very prominent, well-known church just to kind of go and see and excuse me hopefully uh hear the pastor and uh she went with her mom and sister and uh same thing like with my earlier story she said virtually nobody said a word to them nobody talked to them nobody introduced themselves even during the greeting just left kind of discouraged again we had um when i was up in weaverville uh, we were part of an organization called the CARBC, the California Association of Regular Baptist Churches versus irregular Baptist churches. I don't know. But in any case, in any case, our state rep would come and visit all the churches. And he first time he came up to Weaverville, uh, we got together, I think, for a meal. And he said, so I got in early today. So I went around Weaverville and I asked about your church. He just wanted to see what the church's reputation was. In the town. I was like, I'm sure I started sweating bullets, you know. <laughs> Thankfully it was all positive. But in the case of the of Thessalonica, they were doing the right thing. The word got around and it didn't take long, and we know this because of what we see next. Their example was seen by others. Look at verse nine, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. And now what's going on here, friends, is that as Paul and the gang started moving south to Berea, onto Athens and on to Corinth. Where Paul wrote this letter from the apostles are now receiving reports from these people that had been at Thessalonica and have now moved to other places. They're getting reports about when they were there and what happened when they um, preached the word to them and the people received the word and then accepted the word and started growing in godliness and Christ likeness. And how they just started blossoming in their faith. And mind you, when Paul showed up, he, Sylvanus, Timothy were to some degree even damaged goods. Because of what had happened there in Philippi. And no doubt word would have followed them to Thessalonica of their problems there in Philippi and being asked to leave. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe that controversy actually worked in their favor as people in Thessalonica then might have been more curious, you know, about, about what they had to say. In any case, here was the word on the street about the Thessalonians' conversion. Look at verse 9. How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. First, they turn to God from idols. I mean, that was huge in the life of a Greek. It's even more commendable that these converts who did this 180 degree turn from idols to serve the living and true God would then not resort back to the idolatrous worship after Paul and the gang had left. Especially within the realm of persecution. And so this, of course, is a definitive sign that their salvation was the real deal. In fact, uh, By the time Paul left, things were not good for the Christians because the Jews turned the city against them. And then secondly, this report that Paul heard from others is not just that they turned from idols to God, but it's what then they turned towards. Look at verse 10. And to wait for his son, the Lord Jesus, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead... That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They know and look forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven who rescues us from that wrath to come. It's just another tremendous indication of the Thessalonians' true saving faith. That makes me think of Romans 10, verses 9 to 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in Salvation. This is our model this morning, friends, of this, our continued model of this New Testament church, right? And again, I encourage us to be thinking about this in the context of Calvary Bible Church and, of course, as individuals. I would say a hearty amen that this church is certainly founded on the gospel and continues to keep the gospel as its foundation. But we always need to keep our eye on that, right? We never can let up, never can let up on that. And then what is, what is as a church body, our ongoing response to the gospel? We pray that people would be receiving it, that they would be being saved by it. And then we want to ask ourselves, are we then imitators of the Lord? And are we godly examples that others would actually point to? And do we see that not just as individuals, but there's enough individuals that that is the case in this body that then it's seen corporately. It's seen even by the outside world. What is our reputation? Is it, man, that Calvary Bible Church, it's an awesome church. I went to this church, Calvary Bible, man, it was like, it's founded in the word of God. They preach and teach the gospel. People are kind and caring and loving. And man, they're serving like crazy. And they're, you know, this and that and da, 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 da. Is Is, is that our reputation? And then how, thirdly, are we perpetuating the gospel? Yes, it will go by example. Absolutely. Right? In our daily lives. And again, corporately as a church out there in the community. And then what methods are we employing to make sure that gospel is getting out there even verbally? Oh, oh, plug for the evangelism class today. Tonight. Five o'clock. Come on down. We want to help you just be strong and secure in your face that you can share Christ with others. These are the things that we need to consider this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the time you've blessed us with. Thank you for this time in your word. Lord, may we take these matters to heart. May we consider um, these truths, ask ourselves these questions, and question uh, even towards our our body as a whole. And Lord, if there is any here that needs salvation this morning, they need to receive the word. They need to receive the gospel. May your Holy Spirit um, cause them to do so. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible, copyright by the Lockman Foundation.